The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are now about to take a journey with professional advisors Ken Smith and Ethan Broga on Empirical Investing Radio. To connect with Empirical Investing Radio, please call 1-866-472-5790. Fasten your seatbelts. You're going to need them. Just because the hosts have a sense of humor does not mean their advice won't change your life. Good afternoon and welcome to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Ken Smith, your host. Certified Financial Planner and CEO of Empirical Wealth Management, a Seattle-based wealth management company. This show is designed to share with you prudent investment and financial planning ideas to help you make a lifetime of smarter financial decisions. Today I have joining me our Director of Research, Eric Glare. Good afternoon, Eric. Hey, Ken. Eric and I will be talking about a few investment topics. I think you've got a few articles you want to discuss, uh, IPOs and uh, Low volatility funds, I believe, is what uh, you wanted to talk about. And Eric, I was hoping to talk a little bit about some retirement planning considerations. I was just reading in the Journal of Financial Planning an interesting article, a peer-reviewed article about uh, retirement planning and, and a way of looking at uh, life expectancy. And I, I think probably more, far more important than general investment discussion for most people heading into the retirement years is how they're going to develop an income and balance the uh, the joint uh, dueling, I guess, uh, issues of pulling out an, enough money to enjoy the quality of life they'd like without running out of money before their life expectancy. Before we do all that, if you'd like to join the program, you could give us a call. Throughout today's show, it is live. Today's the uh, December 12th, Thursday. We are we are high atop the Empirical Towers in downtown Seattle pro- producing this program live. So you can call us at 866-472-5790 if you have any ideas you want to share or join in to the discussion. Uh, you can also shoot an email to empirical. Uh, I'm sorry, contact at empiradio.com. That's contact at empiradio.com. If you would like to reach us throughout the week, if you want to talk to me directly, you can shoot me an email at ksmith at empirical.net, E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L.net, ksmith at empirical.net, or shoot me a, well, or give me a call, 1-800-923-4307 is our 800 number. At Empirical, and uh, we have a practice. We do wealth management, which to us is the combination of investment planning and and, and uh, advice and management combined with ongoing um, financial planning. We believe the two really should be uh, combined and joined 
Um, every investment strategy should be supported by a sound financial or re- retirement plan, and that's what we excel at doing. We are a fee-only advisor here at Empirical. We do not receive remuneration from investment products, insurance, or other types of uh, strategies that we recommend. Our number one priority and objective is, is going out into the market and finding what we believe are the best investment and planning solutions for our clients, and we're paid that a, uh, a retainer to do that. So we'd be happy to talk to you about that. And also, if you have, would you like us to just take a, a look at what you've been doing, um, we'd be happy to do that with no obligation to work with us or fees involved in giving you a uh, an overview of the approach we would take um, and if you're on the right track or not towards your retirement objectives. Okay, Eric, you ready to, to get going? Let's do this. Let's do this thing. Um, Should we take a look at the, how the markets have done? Yeah, why don't, you, why don't you start with that, and then we'll lead into your uh, investment topics, and then we'll talk about the, the retirement planning issues along, along the way after that. All right, well, let's start out with how some, uh, some different asset classes have performed. Uh, U.S. large cap stocks, as measured by the S&P 500, are up about 24.5% this year. So it's you know pretty incredible year so far. It's uh, going down to the floor here. Um, Close, but there's a few stragglers out there, so... Oh, sure, a little after hours. Murmur. Uh, So, markets are a little bit down this week. The S&P was down about half percent. Uh, Same with Dow Jones, with uh, U.S. large-cap growth stocks. Um, And I think there's been some concern. We got a lot of, uh, I guess, big economic news, uh, positive economic news this past week. Yeah. Unemployment is down to 7%, which is the lowest it's been since late 2008. That's nice to hear. Um, I know that uh, Congressman Paul Ryan and uh, Senator Patty Murray have just come out with a budget deal uh, that they're going to put before the House and Senate, respectively, but it's expected to pass. And uh, so that's another good piece of news, and I think... A lot of what we're seeing in the markets is that as uh, as the economy seems to be healing, uh, investors are worried that the Fed is going to taper, meaning that they're going to reduce their uh, their monthly bond purchases. Uh, and there's there's a fear that that's going to have adverse effects on markets, so people are getting a little nervous. Uh, moving on, though, so. Small cap, small cap growth up 35% year-to-date. Uh, small cap value up only about 28%. Still very impressive. Exactly. Uh, developed international stocks around 15%. So, you know, seems pretty small in comparison to the U.S., but that's still a 15% for the year is pretty solid. Emerging markets still struggling a little bit. Down... Uh, a little over 6%. Crowd hates it. Uh, the global stocks, so U.S., developed international, emerging altogether, uh, it's up about 17% for the year. And, of course, gold. We like to kick gold every week. It's down almost 27%. Mm. 
not a lot of gold fans in, in this crowd. So, hey, what was going on with gold? I think that was the global. Uh, Sam was a little slow on the trigger there. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'd say, and I know gold. I, I, What's going on with gold? Gold. Well, it's apparently in the, it's you're getting hanging, eaten alive. It's it's, it's hanging out in gold. the jungle these days. You really. If you invested in gold, uh, as opposed to... Say you to, put a million dollars in gold on uh, January 1 of this year. You would have lost about $260,000. Bears growling. My bears growling. And you would have underperformed U.S. large-cap stocks by about 50%. Wow. So $500,000 less. In one year. In one year. That's enormous. Just a good reason to, to stay diversified and uh, never get too overwhelmed or caught up in the hype mm-hmm. or the uh, overwhelming amount of commercials. Absolutely. Proceed on. All right. Uh, we can check on bonds. I think we had 10-year treasuries, about uh, 2.88%, so pretty similar to what it's been the last few months, a little bit below 3%. Uh, which, you know, sounds low, but if you think at the start of the year, I think we were around, what, 1.7%, so... On uh, which one? The 10-year? On the 10-year. Yeah. Looks like last year, this time, we were at 2.09. So, yeah, it's still up. Still up quite a bit. Uh, 10-year municipal bond is about 2.81%, so slightly less than the 10-year if you um, don't account for taxes. And the ten-year corporate's about three point six percent. So that's where we're at in the world right now. Well, thanks, Harry. Mm-hmm. That's good to know. So, any general thoughts on that? No, stay diversified, stay balanced, and uh, rebalance when appropriate. And review your asset allocation. Take the you know the huge increase in the general market as an opportunity to revisit your asset allocation policy and where that fits in again to your your uh, investment objectives or your if you're in retirement um, how that how that has affected your uh, retirement maybe you don't need to take as much equity risk as you did um, you know oddly enough it's it's very counterintuitive but if you had a balanced portfolio and you went through the de- decline and, and sometime in in early 2009, that's actually the time when you probably needed the most amount of equity exposure. Um, and after times of uh, that we've had where the market rebounds substantially, um, those may be times to take a look and say, "Hey, do I want to?" And, and and sometimes that's what we see. Sometimes it's not that the as you pointed out that market data is horrible. It's actually good news coming out, but sometimes people sell into the good news and um, and take an opportunity to rebalance their portfolios. And uh, just the general nature of that, as markets have done well, you'd be selling equities and taking risk off the table and putting it in, in less risky areas like your our recommendation would be reasonably short-term fixed income. And uh, as far as the real estate market, you know, there's been some reasonable news uh, and over the last year with the recovery of general real estate. Um, but my advice as always, Eric, is to determine a, a target allocation across different types of investments, equities, fixed income, 
Um, if you are doing, you know, things like uh, commodities, gold, those types of things, and real estate, try to stay balanced and, and determine a target that's appropriate for your given stage of life and your appetite for risk, and let that guide your process more so than um, what you expect to happen next year. And I think where a lot of people get, get, it's easy for all of us to get caught up, is trying to predict the unpredictable. And we, we've now, the document, the evidence is documented very well. That is an incredibly dangerous game. And the gold is just one example. If you had, uh, even if you had gotten it right, a lot of times by being in gold the previous year went up, um, it's knowing how to unwind that. And that's why my advice consistently is come up with an allocation that you understand why you own everything through good markets, bad markets, and then have a system of rebalancing and monitoring for the extremes. And let that, let that discipline structured approach be how you, how you, you balance that portfolio because the, the where, where you get burned is you say, hey, equities are, are way too expensive, so I'm getting completely out, and then the market for the next five years continues to do extremely well. Or vice versa, Mar- markets were at the low. I can't take it, I'm getting out because I think next year real estate's where the action's at, and then all of a sudden real estate has a historic collapse you know, and, and, and bubble crashing. So that's my advice, Eric, and I'll continue to repeat it as long as I'm around. On that note, I won't be around for a few minutes because we got to take a break, and then uh, we'll come back and get to your articles about investing. Yeah, thanks. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Did you ever stop to think that financial health can be a lot like physical health? The financial physician, Luz Katigna, has helped people on the radio for nearly 15 years. And now he's part of the Voice America Business Channel. By using medical analogies to discuss financial solutions, Lou actually makes the process easier to understand and will help you chart your own financial fitness. Tune in to The Financial Physician, live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time, and on demand anytime on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network.
You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. Alongside Ken Smith, I am recurring guest star, Eric Lear. And uh, right before the break, Ken, you were talking a little bit about our uh, investment philosophy and um, about the importance of diversification, about not trying to predict, to make bets. And I thought that sort of uh, dove a little bit. Sorry about that. A concert in here. Uh, yeah, go ahead. I, I thought that uh, that was a good lead into something I wanted to talk about, uh, which is IPOs or initial public offerings. You better believe it. Yeah, and we've had uh, we've had a lot of these this year. A lot of high high profile IPOs, which briefly is when a company goes public, is when it sells shares of equity to the public. And so the the one that made big news last year, of course, was the Facebook IPO. Exactly. <laughs> My thoughts exactly. That was Simon in the background, by the way. But uh, but this year we've had... We've had he was very excited. He, he does Facebook all day long at work. He does. He and, does. Um, you know, sometimes he puts funny messages out there. Mm-hmm. Anyhow, uh, this year we've seen IPOs from Twitter. Uh, we saw... Uh, well, Chrysler was... <laughs> expecting to have a an IPO. I think there's got pushed back, but we should be seeing a Chrysler IPO early next year. Okay, uh, great. Hilton just went public a couple days ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, a personal favorite of ours. Saw that. Pot bellies. Oh, I love the pot belly. They oh, make yeah. a tasty sandwich. I'm, I'm not getting paid for that, but they do. They do make a tasty sandwich. Uh, one of our, our lunch spots that we enjoy. Um, and we get questions about, about these from clients sometimes saying, well... You know, I, I know about Twitter. Um, it's, it's a big deal. Do you think I should get in on this IPO? And generally, we, uh, we tend to avoid this type of offering. And Don't buy. Don't buy. Exactly. <laughs> uh, well, the, the reason for that is you, you have to understand how, how these things are priced. So when, when a company, say a Twitter, uh, wants to go public, they, they go to an investment bank like, say, Goldman Sachs, and they ask them to, to underwrite their, their offering, uh-huh. which means that they'll, they'll, between the company, between Twitter and Goldman Sachs, they'll pick a stock price. And if any shares are not sold, then the underwriter is going to have to pick those shares up. Okay. So they have, they have two goals. They're... As the, as the underwriter, your bank has uh, has two goals. They want to get the highest possible price they can because they get paid a, essentially a commission for this. They get paid a percentage of profits. But they also want to hear it. Oh, I can hear it. Okay. But they uh, they also want to make sure they sell all the shares. Otherwise, they're on the hook for what doesn't get sold. Okay. So you have teams and teams of analysts figuring out what's what's the highest possible price we can get for this particular stock. Right. And so what you see in a lot of cases, Facebook is a great example of this, is uh, you, you get a company that people have heard of, uh, and there's a lot of hype behind the stock, 
And the investment banks and the companies themselves, they get this, this stock price driven up on the initial public offering, and then subsequently the price drops. Facebook uh, went public at a little over $40 a share and then promptly dropped about half of that. And it's, right. it's recovered subsequently, but... Uh, so there, there's the idea that a lot of times these are not necessarily priced relative to their fundamentals. Um, and the other consideration from an individual investor's perspective is that the subscriptions to, to purchase these tend to be the big institutional investors. Banks, big investment companies, they're first in line. Uh-huh. They're buying huge blocks of this, you know, millions and millions of dollars. They get top priority. If you, as an individual investor, are able to get in on it, uh, it may be because some of the issues didn't sell, which generally means that you're going to see a drop in price. Or you may have to go through uh, one of these big investment companies, which means you tend to get charged a little more for it. The, the, the point is that there's, right. there's lots of considerations. They tend to not be a particularly good deal at first. That doesn't mean there's anything wrong with the company. That doesn't mean that these... I mean, some of them will go up. Potbelly's went through the roof. Uh, I think Twitter did pretty well also. But you never know what you're going to get. Let me ask you, Eric. I mean, if, if the initial... Um, what's the incentive, I guess, it, for it to come out cheaper than the real value of the company? Um, because the private placement, right? They're they're selling shares. If they could get more, mm-hmm. um, once those shares are are hitting the market, what what incentive does uh, you know Hilton have or any of them? Hilton has at that point. Don't they want to get as much as possible from the very get go? Absolutely. The only people who have an incentive not to get the most uh, they possibly can would be the underwriter, who again is compelled by their agreement to buy any uh, stocks that don't get sold to the general public. But as far as the company itself goes, yeah, they're going to want the highest price possible. Okay. And again, the, the investment bank underwriting this is going to want the highest price possible that they can sell all the shares under because they get paid a commission. So I think that, that's a great point. You're not going to see these things come out at, at, at half of you know, what they're, I guess, fundamental market value should be because that's not going to be a good deal for the company. Um, I think a lot of people are confused because they think, hey, when the stock comes out, if I buy it right when it comes out on the IPO, if I didn't get it at the private placement, mm-hmm. um, there's an opportunity because the company's going to, um, they're likely going public because they're going to do really well. Or they have, you know, and so they think there's a lot of opportunity there for the stock to shoot up. Because investors want to own Facebook if they've been using Facebook and they, mm-hmm. they hear all the sizzle about it. But um, the, the studies that, that I've uh, seen quoted on, on this evaluation of uh, more of an academic evaluation of post-IPO performance have shown that you know subsequent 12 months after a company comes out, as a group, they tend to underperform the general stock market, right? Absolutely. So, and you pointed out, doesn't mean that someone wouldn't come out and and do phenomenally well. Actually, many of them do. Particularly, if think back to the uh, the '90s when everything was coming out, and money, good money after bad, was being thrown into anything that had a .dot com behind it. Um, and so, it's not that there isn't money to be made there, but 
as a general strategy, um, it's it's not worth, in my opinion, and I'll let you speak again, Eric, but it's probably not worth the concentration risk that you take. Uh, the risk of owning uh, a group, you know, we tend to buy groups of, of stocks within investment funds, um, and that's becoming more and more accepted now. I think when we started using very low-cost structured asset class funds several years back, um, decade plus ago, I mean, it was it was a lot less accepted that hey, there's there's value in doing that relative to buying individual stocks. Um, and if we went back twenty years, you'd see there'd be even less. There was less acceptance of that as a great strategy. Um, but what we what we've been able to do for our clients by doing so is get them full participation in those investment asset classes and reduce the, the catastrophic risk, I like to call, of, of any one company um, basically derailing their investment experience, which I've seen happen time and time again. And, um, and so if you're going to take that kind of risk, say you're going to throw all the, the, uh, you know, the investment theory out the window here and say, hey, well, I don't care. I just think that it's going to do really well. Um, you'd really want to try to get in Pre, uh, pre-public IPO. You want to get on the private part of it, right? Mm-hmm. And that that would be that would be something where the, hey, there's definitely some money being made in that getting it at the private placement. Although there's no guarantee because some of them do go down. Absolutely, you know, right when they come out. But as a general rule, and, and you know, I haven't seen any any recent studies, unless you have. To, that show to the contrary that hey, a, a winning strategy is buy an IPO after it hit, when it opens up on the market, and hold it for the next twelve months or more, and you'll beat the market. Oh, Otherwise, why would you do it if you weren't going to enhance the return? You you can't argue that you are definitely taking more risk if you took it out of the all U.S. stock market index and decided to put it into any one of these individual. IPOs, you're taking on more more risk. You're taking on that company specific risk. You should only be doing that if you think that you'll get a adequate reward for doing that. Yeah. And and that there that's when it comes to well, why should I get that? Because why wouldn't everybody do it if there was a if they if they were being compensated, uh, particularly being compensated more than the risk they took. Even uh, that would be a you know a free a free opportunity. Uh, Go ahead. You're absolutely right, Ken. And uh, we we generally don't recommend that people hold uh, or put a lot of weight in any individual stock uh, for the concentration risk you just mentioned. That you're you're now subject to to risk of that individual company, and I think that's amplified in an IPO because um, not only are you subject to the risk of that company, but uh, no one really knows. Even the company themselves, they don't know what their company is worth. Yeah, that's why you will see wild swings after an IPO uh, because I mean they they have they can do some analysis they have an idea but you know it is kind of crab shoot the price can get prices can go way up or they can go way down uh, and you know that's that's a lot of risk to be taking uh, so hey, yeah you do have to keep in mind I mean if you're if you're thinking that um, the company is just going to, even if you know in advance with a lot of confidence that a particular company, say they're already making good money, 
and they plan to open additional. I, I think I saw Hilton when they were talking. They were private. They they went. They were public, I think, and they were taken private six years ago, and then yep. they're public again. And um, and one of their plans is to expand, continue to expand, rep, open up more, more hotel chains around the world, which it, it all is all very good. For example, but once that information is known, all future prospects of earnings growth are, are rapidly priced in, and so they have to perform to if they perform to expectations they should do about market rates of return assuming there's no additional again company research it's they have to be able to come up with some kind of pleasant surprise um yep in order to and, and so they may be a great company and that's what you have to be very careful it's not simply knowing that a hey, earnings have been growing well in the past and they've got a great plan once that information's out there it's it gets priced in I think we've got to take another quick break, Eric. Um, if you want to, again, if you want to join us on the program here, give us a call, 866-472-5790. If you have any uh, IPO experiences of your own you want to share, I'd love to hear them. Uh, we'll be right back after this break on Empirical Investing Radio. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. Are you a decision maker in your organization, a mid-level manager, or a team member? Stepping Stones to Everyday Success with host Kimberly Stewart is a program designed to provide you with tidbits and tools you need to achieve results no matter where you are in your organizational structure. Interaction is key, and you'll have opportunities to share your ideas, comments, and questions. Listen to Stepping Stones to Everyday Success, live every Tuesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time, on the Voice America Business Channel. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. I'm Eric Lear. He's Ken Smith. And it's uh, like the nice announcer said as we came back from the break, if you'd like to contact us, you can always send us an email at contact at empiradio.com. Yeah. 
or give us a call at 866-472-5790. We'd love to hear from you. Simon is standing by. And uh, Ken, I think you had some uh, something from our friend Chuck Schwab. Well, hey, I was just, while we were on the break, I'm gonna click, I like to click through the Wall Street Journal page, and um, we do uh, use Schwab. As Charles Schwab & Company as a primary custodian for a lot of the clients that we work with. We're not a broker-dealer at Empirical. We are an independent registered investment advisor. So we, we need a custodian, and, and Schwab does a, a great job for us and our clients. And uh, so I, I saw this, and I haven't listened to it. I thought maybe we can, it looks like it's a Barron's interview, it's only a few minutes, and so. Um, but the, what caught my eye is it's uh, what is the you know Charles Schwab the biggest mistake investors make, and I want to want to see what he has to say about. How okay. can investors get renewed confidence in the market? I'm Jack Otter, editor of Barrons.com, and I'm lucky enough to be joined by Charles Schwab, who is the founder and chairman, of course, of Tra- Charles Schwab and Company Brokerage. Uh, so I want to start out by telling you about my father-in-law, who said to me. I don't invest in the stock market. It's a rigged game against the little guy. You are just today announcing a new program that I guess you guys hope will chip away a little bit about that fear, that sense that, that the, the market is not for everyone. Well, thanks, Jack. It's a real pleasure to be at Barron's. I've been a reader of your publication, your fine publication, since 1960, so I'm pretty experienced at it. i a long-time investor, to say the least. Uh, we just announced today a, a guarantee that we thought it's about time that individual investors had something around a guarantee of satisfaction and accountability. Basically, it's our accountability guarantee that if you're unhappy with Schwab's managed accounts and you've paid a fee for it, we will refund it to you at the end of the quarter if you have any reason to be dissatisfied. It's sort of a new thing in the, in the brokerage world. Uh, we've sort of live behind the screen of not being accountable for things when markets go down and markets go up and so forth. It's not a guarantee as to performance, but it's overall satisfaction is what we're trying to give to our clients and hopefully add some level of confidence to them in this period of time when people sort of lack confidence. So this would hopefully be a little bit of an uplift to people in their confidence. Now, you made the point that it's not about performance. So if the market crashes, uh, that won't be a reason. But at the same time, I, I suspect you'll be able to point to clients to a benchmark of some sort and say, here, here's how you performed against uh, the benchmark. That's how we would obviously discuss it with the client. And a, a person who's in investing for the long period, the long time, whether it's five years, ten years, or in a whole career, like 30 years, there are, will be downs in the market, some significant downs, like we had in 08. Unfortunately, that was a pretty severe one. Hopefully that won't be repeated, but we have every four to five, six years, there are down periods, and we have to expect that. And that good, smart, long-term investors understand that. They aren't perfect in their timing, but they have to hold through those periods, obviously, in order to enjoy the return and the recovery that goes on in our marketplaces. So in your experience, I, I think that might point to one of them, but can you give us a couple of the biggest mistakes you see investors making time and time again? Well, I think... Uh, I like to say procrastination is one. I, I like the idea about investing. I, I have some money here, but whether it's my 401k or whether it's my managed account or whatever it might be, I wait and I wait. I'm going to wait till the market comes down to my level. Well, markets never wait for your level. You just have to get in. I mean, I sort of people ask me, what's the best day to invest in? I say almost any day, get started. Get started with investing. If you're 30 years of age, 
40 years of age, 50 years of age, you haven't done it, get started today. Don't put everything in, but obviously be balanced about your uh, your investing. Anything else that, that you've seen that people do? I mean, that's people are waiting for it to come down. That's actually fairly sophisticated. Some people say, well, you know, when the market's doing badly, I'll get back in when things improve. Well, it never seems to improve to your satisfaction. I, I've seen uh, investors over the years, unless you step in uh, and participate, you never get in at the perfect moment. I've never seen a person sort of get in at the very bottom or near the bottom, and then say, oh, I'm going to get out as soon as it hits the top. It doesn't work that way. I mean, most people, like myself, professional for a long time investing, I hardly ever move out at the low. I don't think I've ever been, or move into the low, or move out at the top. It just doesn't happen that way. No one can predict with any clarity what's going to happen tomorrow. And accepting that might be the first rule of investing. It certainly has been for me. Thanks very much, Charles Schwab. Thank you. Well, that's that's very interesting. I think Chuck is in perfect alignment with what we've been saying for a long time. Is actually earlier in the program here that you can't predict the unpredictable and what the market is going to do from day to day. Um, and I certainly um, can empathize uh, with people who are out there not being not knowing what to do. And hey, should I get in now? The market's already gone up. Well, they didn't get in when it went down. Um, I, I couldn't agree more with what he's saying. I can't comment much about the guarantee on the managed fund portfolio deal. I haven't read. I saw that in the news for a headline about that, but I don't know if about enough about it to really comment. But his rule um, or the mistake that investors make about procrastinating is certainly one I would agree with. It is very easy to procrastinate um, and put off. Uh, getting, get, just getting. It's. I always say, there's never a bad time to take a prudent strategy with your investments, and I've used that in a number of different uh, situations. If it's, I own a single stock. You know, most of my my liquid net worth that will be used for my retirement, for one reason or another, it wound up in a, a very large quantity of it in a single stock. The prudent strategy is to di- diversify, as we were saying, and it doesn't change the prudence of that approach or that action that needs to be taken whether the market happens to be down, up that stock happened to be recently up or down, it's never a bad time to, once, you've, once you've been informed um, to take a prudent approach so I don't know if you have any comments about that yourself Eric? No, I think that's absolutely correct I mean, I, you heard a lot of articles uh, in 2011 when we had a, a dip in the the uh, latter half of the year that, well, the uh, the market had hit, hit a peak and it was about to go back down again. And then we've had, since then, 2012, 2013, we've had two fantastic years in terms of equity returns. So had you gotten out thinking that was the peak, you would have missed out on something like 40% in uh, U.S. markets and you know, pretty well in the world. So that's yeah, just trying to Trying to uh, to time peaks and troughs is uh, proven to be a uh, a losing game. Yeah, it's a difficult uh, game to play. Well, Eric, let's shift over to um, our retirement discussion. Well, we can kind of kick into it here and for the next few minutes, and then finish it, uh, the discussion through the last uh, segment of our program. But I was I like to I'm fascinated with solving the the issue of of 
retirement, um, being able to retire, live the life and the quality of life that you want. Um, I don't know, this topic just excites me, and whenever I can find articles or papers that get written about, um, a lot of times it's withdrawal uh, strategies, what kind of withdrawal rate can you can you utilize, um, how do you, and, and so I'm just enamored with this idea, that this issue, and most of our clients, um, well, everyone faces it at one point or another. We're, we're all not... Few of us are going to be able to work forever or, or desire to do that, and we'll shift into this stage of retirement. And um, where really what we're saying is, hey, we've, we're going to be in a distribution phase instead of saving. We're going to be utilizing some of the resources that we've built up. And there are all kinds of rules of thumb and all kinds of programs out there in the market that um, have been designed and built to help figure this out. Uh, from traditional cash flow planning tools and plans. And the work continues to evolve in these areas. And the article I was reading uh, today, Eric, it was called um, Measuring the Risk of Running Out of Money in Retirement by Grant Gardner, Ph.D., and Sam Pittman, Ph.D. And uh, they did a little multi-page paper outlining a study they did. And... um, what they were trying to look at is how traditional retirement planning evaluates the uh, life expectancy issue. And it's something that has bothered me for quite some time in that if, if you go to uh, an actuarial table that the IRS would use um, or even Social Security, how they would determine the life expectancy um, at what point do you really, when you're planning your, you've built up a, a bucket of retirement assets, and you want to maximize um, your quality of life? Hey, I've got a, I've worked hard for this amount of money, I built up. I want to spend as much as uh, as much of it as possible without risking the the chance of running out. That's the issue. I want to I want to live. The, I don't want to be eating out of a tuna can. Um, and then leaving a bunch of money for the government to take in taxes, for example, um, estate taxes, if that's the case. And, and and maybe you have some legacy objectives. Hey, I'd like to leave people I care about, charities I care about, I'd, I'd love to leave them a legacy. But for most people um, that I've met, I've met thousands over my career heading into retirement. And more common than not, the the, the, the thing that I get here from them is, I don't want to be a burden on my kids. I, I want to be able to, to take care of myself. I want to be financially independent. Um, I, I don't want it to experience a dramatic reduction in the quality of, of life and what I can do. Um, but but very, And I think it's a very noble thing. I don't want to be, become a burden on society or my kids or my family. Um, and so that, that does take some pretty detailed planning. And it's something that um, you know, we talk about how how oftentimes uh, advisors and, and uh, journalists talk about the amount of time someone will will spend researching buying a new stereo system <laughs> or a car, um, but how much time do they put in in a particular year mapping out their their financial future or their retirement? And it's it's very small in comparison. But uh, we're going to have to take a quick break and. Uh, when we come back, I'll frame this a little more and we'll talk about it. 
on Empirical Investing Radio. We'll be right back for our last segment, and we're talking about uh, retirement planning. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Are you an individual investor looking for a trusted financial advisor? Or are you a financial professional looking to connect with a world-class wealth management firm? My name is Simon Liu, Portfolio Manager with Empirical Wealth Management, inviting you to contact us at 1-800-923-4307. That's 1-800-923-4307. Or visit our website at empiricalfs.com. That's E-M-P-I-R-I-C-A-L-F-S.com. Our mission at Empirical is to provide clients with the most effective, unbiased investment and financial planning advice available. Empirical is changing the way investment advice is delivered by striving to put our clients' interests first. Call us now to get started with a no-cost, no-obligation discovery process. The number again is 1-800-923-4307. Or you can begin this process on our website at EmpiricalFS.com. In sales, are you a lion or a vulture? Lions don't wait, they just go for it. Vultures hang around until the lions are finished and just pick up the scraps. How can you set yourself apart as a lion? Join the other aspiring sales lions and listen to Forget Patience, Let's Sell Something with host Ty Maynard. You'll learn the tips and strategies of top sales professionals. You'll gain more clients at a faster rate and at higher margins. If you're a sales professional, business owner, or executive, listen in every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now, toll free, 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Empirical Investing Radio with Ken Smith and co-host Ethan Broga. To call into the program with a question or comment, please dial 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to contact at empiradio.com. Now, back to Ken and Ethan. Welcome back to Empirical Investing Radio. This is our final segment. And uh, before the break, Ken, you were talking about retirement planning. That's right. And I, and I was just telling you, Eric, that we had read this article, and I, I want to share a little bit about the um, interesting part of it because I think it affects everyone. And as these studies and this work gets done, and I appreciate what uh, these two smart, very smart gentlemen have done here to to forward the discussion on this is, um, you know, what what is the appropriate way to approach the lifespan and the life expectancy? And basically, I'm using, I'm going to try to keep it simple because that's the only way I know how to explain this. They use a lot of very technical language and, and, and things in this discussion. But um, from a practical planning standpoint, and I was telling you that there is a balance between, hey, I want, to, I want to maximize or optimize my quality of life, but I don't want to run out of money and I don't want to become a burden on my family. Um, and the tricky part on that, there, there are a lot of variables. One is what kind of investment returns will I get? And if, you have a, if you're 65 and you have a, a life expectancy you know, to close to 89, um, there's a pretty long time 
that you've got over 20-some years, you have to try to pr- project out what that return is. So one of the, the earlier innovations was this idea of randomizing the returns through this mon- what's called a Monte Carlo analysis, which allows you to use variability instead of a, s- a flat rate. Uh, I'm going to get 8% every single year because we know markets don't generate returns that way. But um, and, and that's something. So one of the variables, what kind of return am I going to get? Um, and I've, we'll talk about what we're doing when we're doing plans to address that. Uh, that uncertainty. How? Uh, what's a concern? What's a logical way of approaching that? It wouldn't be. It wouldn't be a great idea to assume I'm going to get twenty percent a year in my portfolio, uh, and plan your withdrawal strategy around that, and you know, hit, hit the town uh, on your worldwide tour. That probably wouldn't be a strategy. But being overly conservative and assuming you're going to get zero or negative returns over the next forty years, well, that wouldn't be probably the most logical way of approaching it. So there is a way of framing that issue, I think. Um, In this particular article, the issue is, well, hey, traditional planning, a lot of advisors will say, let's be, and including us, we'll be conservative about the age. Let's assume that you live um, longer than what is in the actuarial tables of your life expectancy. So something, for example, and here they say there's a uh, a 5% chance of that 65-year-old living to uh, age 99. So if you're using 100, which we've done, uh, as a life expectancy, is it is it, and you based your withdrawal amount on that, um, would that be the, the smartest way to approach it? You, you might be taking out less than you really could be, uh, if you were using something like, well, what if I what's I have a seventy percent chance um, of living to uh, a shorter age? So let's see here. You, have, I'm looking at the. I don't know if you have it in front of you, Eric. But, so uh, I think the percentiles the example they used was given that you're going to live to age ninety nine. Uh, this particular plan, for example, has a seventy uh, percent chance of being successful and a thirty percent chance of failing and it's and the way this would be presented to a, a client would be well there's a 30 percent chance that your your financial plan is going to fail and um, I think one of the central points of this article is that um, putting on my statistician hat here for a second is that that's a conditional probability you're being given there that's not saying that okay well given our assumptions about Investment returns, there's a 30% chance your plan's going to fail. That's saying, if you conditional on you living to age 99, and given our uh, investment assumptions, there's a 30% chance your plan is going to fail. And uh, the point that these two gentlemen are making is that, you know, there's, there's a certain probability that you're going to live to age 99. And uh, traditionally... Um, a lot of planners, I think, uh, assume you're going to live to a certain age. Well, maybe there's only a 5% chance you're going to live to age 99, but they're going to take that as a given and build the plan that way. And as you mentioned earlier, you're, you're sort of weighing two opposing risks. So one risk, uh, and I think this is the risk they're trying to correct for by assuming a, a high uh, longevity, is that you you run the risk of running out of money and 
in that case, you are, maybe you have to take a cut in your lifestyle or you're a burden on your children. The other risk is that you don't spend enough. You, you know, if you plan to live to 100 and you die when you're age 80, you could have spent more in your earlier retirement years. And I, yeah. think, I think it's about weighing those two risks. And I found that what I was looking for, Eric, was the statistic they were using to divide up those percentages, which was your life expectancy, uh, if you're 65, they have it at 19 years. So, what, 84 for that for that per individual person? And my question in the past was, well, what, what, what defines that? And I believe it's the 50th percentile. So it's a 50% life. They're... Those actual tables base the life expectancy on a 50% chance of, of uh, living beyond that, which I thought, wow, that, I mean, that's a pretty good coin toss if I was going to base it. Because when you go to 25 years, now you're in the 70th percentile of lifespan, which, correct me if I'm wrong, means there's a 30% chance that, that you'd live longer than that. Correct. Um, and then when you get to 34 years uh, in this particular case, then you're in the 95th percentile, which means, well, you only have a 5% chance. And that's what I've struggled as an advisor over a long period of time. Now, the way we've, we have approached that is to say, well, if we can do everything you want, you're not sacrificing any quality of life, uh, you can do what you want to do, and you live to this 95th percentile, for example, you only have a 5% chance of, of living, and if we really wanted to eliminate that, we could go further out, right? I think he uses 116. Um, then we're, we're really, it's a function of maybe we we're leaving less, you know, uh, or leaving more than we want to. We could have spent more, but we're leaving more at the end. But you didn't sacrifice anything, right? The real issue here comes if if that doesn't work, and that's his point is if that's not working, where you're being forced to take less income out of the, or, or push the risk level up to try to get a higher rate of return, is this the most prudent approach, in, as you outlined? And I think what's interesting about it is the way that he suggests, or they suggest, um, that you take those odds and you say, well, use the life expectancy, you know, unless there's something you know about the client knows about their own health or longevity, but use that and then take those odds and calculate an expected shortfall based on those odds rather than, and it gets a little, the math gets a little complicated in here. And uh, one of the things I was going to ask you, Eric, is if that is legitimate, I think we're going to run out of time. Um, but I like, I like that idea and maybe we can explore a little more and, and I'll, I'll get better organized for next week. And uh, we'll include a little. If that's okay. We'll include a little discussion about this. But I think I think these things are very complicated, and you have to be very careful about simple retirement planning tools that you find on the internet, um, because it once you get into it, you see minor little changes make huge differences in the outcome. That's all we can do today, though. So thanks for tuning in this week on Empirical Investing Radio. We'll be back next week, same time, same place. And uh, feel free again to give us a call, 1-800-923-4307. You can ask for Ken Smith at Empirical. And I'd love to talk to you throughout the week. Have a great week.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 